All right. You ready to go to his word? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time together and for your glorious, wonderful, holy word that we're about to look into. And as we do, Lord, uh, we pray that you would, as usual, give us ears to hear and eyes to see, hearts and minds that comprehend and understand what your spirit is saying to the church. And Lord, as I stand before your people, I pray that you would take my widow's mite offering, so to speak, my little loaves and fishes here and multiply it so that uh, your kingdom is advanced, your people are blessed and strengthened and equipped and challenged and changed, and that the word would be planted in the soil of people's hearts where it produces a harvest of righteousness. Father, let not your word return void, but let it accomplish the purpose for which it is sent. And as usual, Lord, um, we pray that your kingdom would be mightily advanced today and the, the kingdom of your enemy would suffer severe damage today as your word goes forth and equips your people to take the gospel out into the world. And for these things, we thank you in advance, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Praise God. We'll turn to our master text today in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I am continuing and completing our short series that we started three weeks ago uh, called The Remnant. The Remnant. And We've been talking about uh, the remnant and what it means, and as you probably recall, um, a remnant means a very small remainder, a very small remainder. Uh, And we saw as we talked through this that unlike the popular notion that a majority of people will make it to heaven, that's not actually what the Bible teaches. Jesus taught that wide is the road and the gate that leads to destruction And many people are on that path, but narrow is the gate and the road that leads to life, and few are those that find that path, okay? So um, I've given you six characteristics of remnant people so far in uh, the teachings, the two teachings that we did prior to this, Uh, and I'm just going to give you one more characteristic of remnant people today as we close down this topic. But before we read our master text, let me... uh, uh, do something in keeping with our last two teachings in this series and uh, just take a little fun break, uh, just a, a little spoonful of sugar to help the medicine go down. I'm going to give you uh, another dose of church bulletin failures uh, as, we, uh, as we embark upon this before we read our master text. Just call this, this is fun. Uh, and here's the first one. I, I love this one. Thursday night, potluck supper, prayer and medication to follow. <laughs> Uh, Yeah, I'm not sure I want to go to that potluck. Uh, The next one is this. Ladies, don't forget the rummage sale. It is a good chance to get rid of those things not worth keeping around the house. Bring your husbands. Come on. That's not fair. That's not right. Uh, uh, That's not right. All right. So, uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's jump over to our master text and read that really quickly. So stand with me. If, you're, if you found 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, we're going to read verses 9 through 11 and then 17 through 20. Now, it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are confident. Am I in the right, in the right place? No. no, I'm not. Sorry. 
Yeah, I'm starting in, I started in the wrong verse. Uh, verse 9, sorry. Okay. So pray for your pastor. Here we go. Ver, verse, verse 9. Uh, so we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. Let's skip down to verse 17. All of it's important, but in keeping with our topic today, we're going to skip down to verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Praise the Lord. All right. <clears throat> well, I'm going to give you a little bit of a recap on the characteristics of remnant people that we have covered so far. And then we're going to get into that master text and talk about that a little bit more. So the first characteristics I gave you of remnant people, number one, remnant people are diverse in background and united in belief. And Brent referred to that uh, verse this morning, Revelation 5.9, in the uh, announcement time. Uh, where it says that the kingdom of God will be filled with people of every tribe, tongue, and nation. So they are diverse in background, united in belief. Number two, they are people of the word. Psalm 119.11 says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Okay, so remnant people are word people. They're, they're serious about the word. Number three, they're committed to walking by faith. Romans 10.17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So remnant people are serious about learning to walk in faith. Number four, they are people of the gathering, which is what you're doing here this morning. We referenced Psalm 69.9 and John 2.17, both of which says of the Messiah that the Messiah Jesus it said of him, zeal for your house will consume me. Zeal for your house. Zeal, which means energy and passion. Zeal for your house will consume me. So I made the point in those previous two teachings that if you want to be like Jesus, and that should be the goal, right? If you want to be like Jesus and zeal for God's house consume Jesus, it should consume us as well. We should take it seriously. And the fifth one is, a uh, fifth characteristic of remnant people, no compromise with the world. I referenced James 4.4 on that one, which said if you want to be a friend of the world, you cannot be a friend of God. As a matter of fact, it goes on to say, if you wish to be a friend of the world, you have made yourself an enemy of God. The world and God's kingdom do not mix. And the sixth characteristic that we talked about was that remnant people are people of 
the cross. They take up their cross. They die to themselves, take up their cross to follow Christ. That was last week's teaching. If you haven't heard those, go back on the the website and pull those up. It would be very important for you to know all of those. But today, we're going to focus on this one right here. Remnant people are about reproduction. Write that down. Remnant people are about reproduction. So I'm going to refer back to our master text in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and just deal with a question here. Um, if you've ever wondered what your ministry is. A lot of people have asked the question, you know, why did God put me on this earth? What's my ministry? What's he called me to? I'm about to answer that question for you. And it was answered in our master text, but I'm just going to take some excerpts from the master text right now to answer that question, why God has called you. Um, so we're going to establish the fact that God has called you to a ministry. He really has. And we find out what that ministry is in our master text. So here, here we go. Let's read, read some of it. Verse 11, therefore, since we know what it means to fear the Lord, we do what? We persuade men. We persuade men and women by implication. Verse 19, and he has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation. And verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. And I find this next statement really amazing. As though God were making his appeal through us. What's that mean? It it means that God is making his appeal to the rest of the world through you and through me. So that's why we are indeed ambassadors and You and I have the ministry of reconciliation. That's our ministry. Now, on that note, I'm going to quote Charles Spurgeon here, a couple of quotes, and he was never one to mince words, and uh, he uses pretty strong language on this topic. Uh, And he says, To win a soul is a more glorious achievement than to be crowned in the arena of theological controversy. So we've got all these theological opinions on stuff. All that's great, but look, To win a soul is a more glorious achievement than to be crowned in the arena of theological controversy. Amen. Amen. And he goes on to say, have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you're not saved yourself. Be sure of that. Ooh. The fact that you were redeemed by God's grace, there ought to be a response to that for you to desire for other people to experience the same grace that you received. Praise God. Now, we in America, though, um, we're lacking as a church culture in America in terms of sharing our faith and evangelism. And I'm going to give you five reasons why today's Western Christians don't share their faith like we used to. So I'm just going to kind of bullet point these really fast. I won't uh, won't elaborate at length on either one, on any of them. But the first one is fear of ridicule. I think that's an obvious one. Some people just don't want to be ridiculed or persecuted. So they back away, they shy away from that. The second one is they don't feel knowledgeable enough. Now, I want to say something about this point right here. You know, ignorance is curable. Ignorance isn't the same as stupidity. Ignorance is curable. You just have to read a little. You just have to educate yourself a little. Okay? And as far as 
knowing how to share your faith more effectively. Of course, you know, we get most of our inspiration and education in spiritual things from the Bible, but there's lots of other books, videos, resources to help you. And this day and age of the, the information age, my goodness, if you're lacking knowledge on something, that's your fault. There's no shortage of places to go to cure your lack of knowledge, okay? Uh, the third one is this, spiritual laziness. Some people just, they're not motivated for whatever reason. They just, it's all about me. You know, we talked about that last week. You know, their spirituality is basically all self-centered. And, uh, you know, that's not what God has in mind for our spirituality. The, the arrows aren't supposed to all go in. We're supposed to be focused on other people and expanding God's kingdom. Okay, so spiritual laziness or a, a, a wrong focus, we could say that as well. Uh, the next one is shame. Now, I want to kind of elaborate on this one a little bit. Shame. What do I mean by that? Well, when people aren't living right, they know they've been doing things that don't please God. Now they've got guilt and shame. They don't feel like they're, they're qualified to share their faith. But I want to tell you something. Uh, the very fact that you have been redeemed from your sins and the very fact that you have, you know, we all have various Achilles heels, as it were. We all have different areas of weaknesses and temptations. You know, one of the best ways to, to smash the devil in the teeth for what he's done to you? Go take the very area that Satan has tripped you up over and over and over again and go begin ministering to other people that have those same weaknesses. And I know some of you in the room are doing that already. Some of you that have come out of addiction, that's the very areas where you're ministering in right now, isn't it? Praise God. So you're turning that around and smashing the devil right in the teeth. Hallelujah. Praise God. So, so don't let shame hold you down. Number one, his mercies are new every morning. His loving kindness is fresh each day. Today's a new day, right? So, so don't let shame hold you back. But if you're not living right, that's curable too. Okay? Start living right. You'll feel more empowered to uh, go share the word of God with other people. All right? Well, that's a sermon in a, of itself right there. Uh, and the next one is bad theology. So I want to elaborate on this one just a little bit and uh, uh, read you something from uh, Barna.com. You know, George Barna is a kind of a, the Christian pollster, uh, if you will. So uh, if you've never been on Barna.com. He's a lot of very interesting statistics and trends on that website. Um, he's, a, he's a great researcher. But here's what he says about uh, evangelism um, and how it's kind of progressed in the last few decades here. Let's read together. A growing number of Christians don't see sharing the good news as a personal responsibility. Just 10% of Christians in 1993 who had shared about their faith agreed with the statement quote, converting people to Christianity is the job of the local church as opposed to the job of the individual, okay, i.e. themselves. 25 years later, 3 in 10 Christians who have had a conversion about faith say evangelism is the local church's responsibility, 29%, a threefold increase. Let's keep reading. The jump could be the result of many factors, including poor ecclesiology, in other words, believing the local church is somehow separate from the people who are part of it, or personal and cultural barriers to sharing faith. 
Yet the most dramatic divergence over time is on the statement, quote, every Christian has a responsibility to share their faith. In 1993, nine out of 10 Christians who had shared their faith agreed, 89%. Today, just two-thirds say so, 64%, a 25-point drop. All right, so on that note, I just want to say this. It's not, now you have to bear with me in in saying the first part of the statement, um, because I'm, I'm going to make this make sense as I progress through this. So it's not the local church's responsibility to evangelize, as in the leadership always having to spearhead some evangelistic campaign. The church can and should support and sometimes even spearhead such efforts uh, at times, but moreover, it falls to the individuals within the church to do the evangelizing. And in that sense, yes, it is the role of the local church to evangelize because you and I are the church. See, the church is made up of individuals within the body of Christ. See, God's idea of church is not just the organized meetings. Church just it isn't just an organization, it's more like an organism. Amen? See, it's a body made up of many parts. So don't ever think, well, that's not my job, that's the church's job. No, folks, listen, you are the church. The church is no stronger and no more effective than the people who attend it. So I'm going to show you a, a graphic, a little chart that I made up here. So... Um, You are, just imagine you are at the very top in that red circle, and you respond to the gospel, and you accept the Lord Jesus as your Savior. And then, as a result of that, you might share your experience, your testimony with other people, maybe some friends or family, and maybe a lot of people you share your faith with, and some people might respond to the gospel. You may not get awesome results at first. You might have a few people respond to the gospel, but um, as you begin to read and listen and study, you begin to grow in the Lord, okay? So you've got a little bit of reproduction by some of your family members responding to the faith, and then that green circle down there represents people who respond to some of your family members doing the same thing and going out and talking about the Lord and sharing their faith. So you've got a little bit of reproduction going already, but as you grow in the Lord, as you read, listen, study, you begin to, begin to grow in the Lord. Now your, your evangelistic efforts, you get more confident, and now you get even better results. Now you may have several people respond and trust the Lord. And as a result of those several people responding and trusting the Lord, they go out, they share their faith, and several other people begin to respond and be added to the family of God. So look what happened with, with just you sharing your faith and all the reproduction that happened As a result, now there's many people in the kingdom as a result of you being willing to share your faith. Does that make sense? It's all about reproduction. So I want to read to you on this point out of Matthew chapter 24. Uh, We're going to go verses 45 through 51 together. And, And this is the words of Jesus, the master. And he says this, let's follow along. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of his household to give the others their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whose master finds him doing so 
when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says in his heart, my master will be away a long time. And he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day he does not expect and at an hour he does not anticipate. Then he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right, so how does that passage apply to you and me? Well, Jesus told this story, ladies and gentlemen, to make the point that God has put you and me in charge of his business until he returns. Now think about the gravity of that for a moment. See, I've made the point before that a lot of people just believe that God's going to do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. That extreme sovereignty of God teaching. But I'm sorry, folks, the Bible doesn't teach that. It's clear that God has delegated his authority in the earth to you and me, and he expects us to manage his affairs until he returns. And yes, he will be taking inventory of how we've spent our lives and how we've handled his business. Isn't that amazing that the God of the universe restricts himself to what you and I do in the earth? It's just amazing. Just amazing. So listen, in case you didn't already know this, you need to realize that walking with Christ is not just about going to church and singing a few songs and listening to a sermon and even reading your Bible. As important as all those things are, all those things are very important, but that's not really what this whole thing is about. You see, these important things that I just mentioned are means for drawing closer to the Lord and therefore being more productive and fruitful in his kingdom business. Those things I listed are about you getting equipped to do his kingdom business. See, it's about being equipped to do God's business more profitably, more profitably. This whole thing as I've already said, is about reproduction. That's not in your notes, but you might not want to write that down. This whole thing is about reproduction. It's about expanding God's kingdom on the earth here and now and helping to, to snatch people, to snatch souls from eternal judgment. That's what you've been placed here to do. To use Jesus' own words from the parable of the talents, uh, the master said, occupy until I come. Occupy until I come back. You'll find that in Luke 19.13. Now, I want to define a little bit further what that term occupy is from the Greek. So that's the Greek word pragmatumai, which is where we get the English word pragmatic. And pragmatumai means to busy oneself, to transact business, to do what is necessary or pragmatic, to administrate or to manage profitably. That's what it means when it says occupy until I come. In other words, once again, the master is saying, do business for me while I'm away. And I'm going to come back and settle up accounts with you. That's essentially what he's saying. So I repeat this whole thing is about knowing God better and conducting his business more profitably. So on that note, I'm going to help to try anyway to attempt to demystify sharing your faith so that you know that this is not just the, the super anointed and superstar Christians that do this. 
Okay, see, God has given every believer, including you, God has given every believer the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, see, this is a, a basic expectation of the Christ follower. Reproduction, the ministry of reconciliation, is a basic expectation of the Christ follower. And as such, anyone can do it. I know that a lot of you, at least some people, some Christians anyway, are very intimidated to share their faith. But it doesn't have to be something intimidating. So I'm going to give you some, just some tips here, here in a minute to help you in that process. Once again, God has given every single person here the ministry of reconciliation so anyone can do this. But I also want to make the point that the way you do it doesn't have to look like the way that I do it. And the way that I do it doesn't have to look like the way that you do it. Because we're all uniquely gifted of God. There is no like cookie cutter type of methodology by which to share your faith. Because we're all wired up very differently. God made it that way. See, see you can reach people that I can't. And I can reach people that you can't. Because, see, you, can, you have things in common with certain people that I may have nothing in common with, so they're more drawn to you than they would be to me. So this doesn't have to look like a cookie-cutter methodology. Uh, we're all uniquely gifted, so the way that you do it doesn't have to look like the way that I do it, and vice versa. So, on that note, here's a brief list then of a few things that will help you along these lines. And the first thing is this. Uh, share your own personal testimony. See, Revelation 12, 11 says, they triumphed over him, meaning the devil, they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb. Thank you. Very good, students. <laughs> they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Hallelujah. See, here's the thing about your testimony and why it's so powerful. Because it's easy for some people to argue theology. It's, it's, it's easy for some people to argue the validity of the Bible, but they can't very easily argue the validity of your experience. When, when you tell them what you've experienced, they're, I mean, what do they say? You're lying? No. So that's why your testimony is so powerful. So be sure to tell them how God's changed you, how God translated you from darkness into light. Hallelujah. And don't be concerned if you don't have a testimony like, you know, I always think of Nicky Cruz, because Nicky Cruz, you know, back in, I guess it was the 60s or 70s, he was a, uh, a gang leader in New York City, and a very violent, murderous gang leader, and, uh, and he gloriously got saved and became a tremendous evangelist. You don't have to have some dramatic testimony like that. Maybe you were born and raised in church. That's a testimony in and of itself. You got spared of all that kind of junk. I mean, you've got a testimony. It doesn't have to be a Nikki Cruz kind of testimony. Um, you know, you've got a testimony. Share that. All right? Second point is this. Allow it to flow naturally through the course of a comfortable conversation. You don't necessarily have to be a street evangelist. Now, do I believe in street evangelism? Yes, I do. I think going out and, and sharing your faith on the street can be very effective. But for some people, that's just not their thing. Uh, for other people, it flows much more naturally, much more comfortably, and much more effectively through just a, a casual conversation with somebody, sitting down with somebody over coffee or something, and just beginning to, to share your faith. That's very effective for, for some people versus street evangelism and walking up to a total stranger. 
The third one is this, uh, learn from your blunders. If you share your faith often enough, you're probably going to blunder from time to time and learn from those things. If you get stumped by someone's question or objection, resolve to never let that happen again. Go study that question or objection out so that you're better prepared the next time. And also, learn from others. You know, learn from uh, one of my favorite uh, resources out there where evangelism is concerned is Ray Comfort, Living Waters Ministry, I think is the name of it. Now, look, I want to make a point about this. It's kind of off the beaten path here. But, uh, you know, I, I don't see eye to eye with all of Ray Comfort's theology. But to me, that's beside the point. Because we agree on the centrality of our faith. What's the centrality of our faith? Christ crucified for our sins, raised on the third day, the only way to the Father. If we can agree on that, we're brethren. Right? And so I think Ray Comfort is a phenomenal evangelist. So I've learned a lot from him. So go check out his videos on YouTube and you'll learn a lot from him. And, uh, and, and, and also, I'm, I was encouraged recently by uh, Samantha Denny. She's got a sister that doesn't know the Lord and is very kind of, kind of resistant to the to things of the Lord. And she went to visit her recently. And she started to ask me questions. What, what do I say in this situation? Can you help me you know, with maybe being prepared for that conversation? So I gave her a little uh, a CD series of something I did years ago, 20 plus years ago, um, called Why Some People Reject God in the Church. And it just goes through um, and, and addresses the most common objections to the Christian faith. And she took those CDs and she drove over to, where's your sister live, Samantha? She lived, okay, she, she drove over to Illinois and listened to all those CDs and was prepared for that conversation. That's what I'm talking about. Educate yourself, okay? Um, there's no excuse for being ignorant, especially in this day and age. Uh, fourth tip here, social media can be a great place to share short segments of the gospel. Just little, drop little things that encourage people, that, that maybe make people think about things, things of that nature, but... As I told you last week, don't be heavy-handed, don't be condemning, don't be accusatory. That, that doesn't help the situation, okay? Uh, don't come down on people like, wow, you're so wrong and I'm so right. That's not, not going to get you anywhere. Um, and the fifth one is never, ever, 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 ever be argumentative. Do not be argumentative. If someone has a question or objection, do you know why they have that question or objection? Because to them, it's legitimate. To them, it's a legitimate question or objection. So just gently try to help to overcome that question or objection as much as you know how. You know, 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be ready to give a reason to anyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But then it goes on to say, Do this with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. I know that some people out there probably don't Talk to you respectfully when you're sharing your faith, but your obligation is to speak back to them with gentleness and respect. The sixth one that I have here for you is that you will be required to be bold. Write that down. You will be required to be bold in certain situations, and and that will come as you get more confident. I'm going to give you a couple different uh, examples of that that have happened in my life. You know, again, as as I've read and studied and grown in this area, I feel pretty confident to talk to most people. Uh, You know, after 30 years of this, now there's very few people that can stump me on things because I've just educated myself. 
Now, there's a few people from time to time will say something that, that will make me go, oh, wow, I hadn't really thought of that. Uh, let me get back to you on that. So I don't try to like dance around and try to give them some answer off the top of my head that just sounds good. I'm, I'm very honest. I say, listen, you know, I don't know the answer to that, but let me get back to you on that. And guess what I do? I go study it out and have a ready answer the next time. So I'm never stumped on that issue again. So after 30 years of that, I'm fairly confident in these conversations now where I wasn't in the past. And I remember, I don't know, maybe a year ago, I think it was last summer, I was in the barber shop getting my hair cut and I was waiting. There was another gentleman in the chair and he was in his uh, military garb, his, what do they call them, fatigues? And he was sitting in the chair and, and he had a full beard. So he would come from Atterbury, where he's stationed right now, to get a haircut. He had a full beard. I was like, wow, I've never seen anybody in the military with a full beard before. I thought that they had, you know, standards about facial hair. And he said, well, it's a religious exemption. I said, really? That's interesting. I said, what religion are you? He said, I'm a pagan. And I busted out laughing. <laughs> because I thought he was joking. I, I thought it was a joke. I busted out laughing. And then he didn't laugh. And I went, oh, you're serious. I said, okay, well, tell me about your religion. Tell me about paganism, as you understand it. So he started to explain. I'm not going to get it. It's so weird and so just off the wall. And, and so then I asked him a question. I said, well, that, what's your background? How were you raised? And he said, well, my family was Baptist. And why well, I jumped on that with both feet. Now, bear in mind that as this conversation was happening, now by this time I'm, I'm in the chair and I'm getting my hair cut and he's, still, and he's sitting where I was sitting and, and there's like tons of people. The, the, that was one of the days that this little barbershop was full of people. So I'm like witnessing to this entire crowd of people. And so I didn't back away at all. So I, asked, so I said, could it be, I, I, just, I asked the man, I said, just consider this, could it be that your parents were right and you're wrong. What if, what if your parents in their little Baptist church were right and you're wrong? I said, how do you know you're right? And he didn't have an answer for it. So I, I man, and then, then I laid out the gospel for him. Now, when I laid out the gospel for him, I was laying out the gospel for my barber that was right behind me and laying out the gospel for everyone that was in that room that day. So God put me in a situation where he required me to be bold and he'll do the same thing with you from time to time. You've got to be prepared for those moments. And guess what? You've got to watch for those moments. And sometimes, sometimes you are going to have to turn the conversation toward those moments because when he said, I'm a pagan and I laughed, I could have just laughed it off and left it at that. But I said, tell me about paganism. And then I, so I got him talking about his beliefs, and I went, that's very interesting. I didn't try to argue with him. I said, that's very interesting. And then I asked him how he was raised. And then that gave me the opportunity to begin to share the gospel with him with a captive audience. I was on a plane just a few months ago, and I sat down next to an older couple, and uh, we got to talking and, and found out that they were conservatives, and then you know, they were, we were both kind of commiserating about the state of politics right now. And I, I made a statement like this, because I, I didn't know if they were Christians or anything, because there's, you know, there's lots of conservatives that aren't, are not Christians. And uh, so I said, boy, it, in these, uh, these times, it really serves to know your maker and to, to know the Lord, right? And they went, yeah, that's right. And so then that gave me a little bit of an open door to kind of explore where they were at 
uh, in their faith. And come to find out, they're church-going people, but the man probably wasn't as far along in his faith as maybe he should have been. And as we got to talking, I just, man, I felt the Holy Spirit. Man, the anointing hit me on that airplane. I was stuck, was gushing out of me. And I, the man was sitting there and tears began to stream down his face. And uh, so we, we talked the entire, man, that trip went just like that. We talked the entire time. And guess what I did? I made sure that I raised my voice just a little bit more than what I usually would have. So all the people around me were hearing me. I saw all these people looking, looking back at me and looking. I saw a couple of people like lean in to, to hear what I was saying. And then at the end of the trip, uh, this young lady got up and uh, she said right in front of everybody as we were getting our, our luggage from the overhead uh, bins, she said, sir, I want you to know that was the most informative and enjoyable conversation I've ever heard on an airplane. And she said, she said, I'm a Christian and I'm a conservative. And I, I, I was just encouraged today that I'm not the only one out here. And so all these people within, I, yeah. So all these people in the perimeter of the sound of my voice got a big dose of the gospel that day. So you're going to be required to be bold. See, look, this is not just something. Look, I want to tell you something. I'm not wired that way. I'm not wired that way. In, in my natural personality, I'm an introvert. I, I really am. Now, maybe some of you would say, no, Andy, you're not an introvert. I really am. My wiring is this. When I'm around a lot of people, it sucks the energy out of me, and I get re-energized when I'm by myself. Now, some of you are exactly the opposite. You get re-energized when you're around other people, and it sucks the energy out of you when you're alone. I'm not like that. I'm an, I lean introvert. So I've had to train myself to be a little bit more engaging and to ask questions and, and, um, and just get people talking. So, so those of you that are introverts like me and you don't have a lot to say sometimes, ask questions, get other people talking, and they will love you for letting them talk. <laughs> um, that's, a, that's the truth. That's the truth. Um, so I'm a little bit more introverted, so I've had to train myself to just be bold in these situations, and God has helped me. The Holy Spirit helps me, and he will help you too. So I'm not uniquely wired as some, you know, great evangelistic kind of person. That's not my personality, but God has helped me along those lines and he'll help you too when you just, just start taking steps of faith and stepping out and just being bold once in a while and start engaging people in conversations. Does that make sense? Where you are weak, he will become strong. Okay? Other tips are uh, always pray over your food when you're in restaurants. And then tip really good. That, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Stacy's a server, so she got excited on that point right there. So, uh, and Stacy, you can attest to that. I'm a good tipper, aren't I? So, tip really good, uh, and that right there will shine a positive light on the gospel. Okay, um, Stacy, can I ask you a question before I go on? Uh, I've heard it said, and I don't know that this is true, so I want you to verify it. Um, some people have said that Sundays are the worst day to be servers because the church people are cheap in their tips. Is that true? So it's getting better? Okay, good. That's a, that's a good report. I like, I like that. Thank you. Okay. Uh, also, here's another tip that's not in your notes, but another tip would be just look for signs 
that God might be dealing with a person and take that opportunity to ask to pray for them or at least share something that will be encouraging to them. And, and, and speaking of servers, uh, Stacy, I've done this with servers before. I remember a, a, at a Cracker Barrel one time, we had, had just come from church and we went to Cracker Barrel to eat. And this lady that was serving us, man, she looked rough. And I could tell she'd been through some things. I, I, I don't think I got some spiritual discerning from heaven. So you don't always need that. Sometimes you can just look at the person, kind of know, right? So just look for evidence. And man, she looked rough. She had a fallen countenance to her. And you know what? I stopped her and I said, you've had a rough time, haven't you? And she said, yeah, I have. How did you know? And I said, well, I just believe the Holy Spirit just you know, showed me that you, know, you, you need some prayer. And I said, can I pray for you? And she said, yes. So right there in Cracker Barrel, I stood up with everybody watching and prayed for her, administered to her, and she just started to weep. And so God touched her that day as a result of me just being bold. Here's another example. Um, and again, God, as I'm using these examples about myself, just know that God is no respecter of persons. He wants to do the same thing with you. And as you start to step out in faith, he'll give you more opportunities. So that's how this works. But I had a dream about my coworker, one of my coworkers the other night. And uh, God will speak to you in dreams, by the way. Did you know that? God speaks in dreams. So um, I had this dream about my coworker. And I've, I've known her for nearly 30 years and never had a dream about her before. But I had this dream about her. And um, so I took a chance. And I texted her and said, hey, um, I know this is going to sound weird, but I had a dream about you a couple nights ago, and God has been known. By the way, let, let me stop there. Let me back up before I tell you what I said to her. I want to back up by saying that this lady is not friendly to the gospel. I mean, she is not. She's lived a very wild lifestyle, very liberal. Uh, what, whatever spirituality she does have is just some woo-woo kind of new age kind of stuff. And so she's not friendly to the gospel. Uh, but I decided to take a chance, and I texted her and said, hey, I had a dream about you a couple nights ago. And I said in the text, God has been known to speak to me in dreams very accurately about people at times. So I just wanted to reach out and ask you, is there anything that I can be praying for you about? And is everything okay in your life? Is there anything I could pray for you about? You know what she did? She texted back, and she said, that is so nice of you. See, this is a woman that's not friendly to the gospel. She said, that is so nice of you. And then that gave me the opportunity to plant a seed about how God works through speaking in dreams. And it made her think about some things. Right? Now, I didn't, get her, I didn't lead her to the Lord that day, but God is working on this hardened woman. And I just had to be obedient and take a chance and go, okay, Lord, you know, you know how she is, but I'm going to take a chance and text her and see what happens. And it got a very positive response. Now, you won't always get a very positive response, but, but my point is, you got to take a chance. Walk by faith, right? Now, I want to deal with um, something really quick here, because there is a kind of a slogan or a saying or an axiom out there that I've heard many times that uh, says, share the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Folks, don't fall for that. The devil would love for you to, to use that type of methodology. Do not fall for that. Uh, here's why. See, if you guide people to the truth using words, I should say, if you don't, if you don't guide people to the truth using words, huh, 
they will come up with all kinds of false notions on their own, and Satan will make sure he helps them do that. Okay? See, the gospel must always be accompanied by a lifestyle that honors Christ. Yes, that's true, but the presentation of the gospel requires words. The presentation of the gospel requires words. Okay, I'm coming down home stretch here. Um, one of the last points I want to make here is to never underestimate your contribution. Okay, again, you don't have to be some superstar Christian winning, you know, hundreds or thousands of people to the Lord. Just, just contribute to the process. Look at what the Apostle Paul says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 8. Uh, I planted the seeds, the Apostle Paul writes, and Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. See, it's not your responsibility to make the seeds grow. It's your responsibility to plant the seeds. God will make it grow. Yeah. Verse 7, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. He who plants and he who waters are one in purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. Now, on that note, I want to read you a quote from Gordon Lindsay on this point. I think this is really bolsters the scripture that we just read. Gordon Lindsay says this, to young men who are looking for an opportunity and who complain there is no opening for them, permit me to say this, go where the poor and the underprivileged are. They will be glad to hear you. When you have learned to bless them, others will be calling for your services. Don't wait for uh, opportunity to come walking up to you. Go meet it. My wife and I resolved that we would not allow an opportunity to build up the church pass us by. And if we did not find opportunities ready-made, we would make them. So those of you that are involved in recovery ministry, uh, jail ministry, things of that, like that, this is talking about you. You've gone out to meet the need rather than waiting for the need to come to you. Right? And... Uh, Bill and Paula, same thing with you, with your Christian Motorcycle Association. You're going out to meet the need rather than it, waiting for it to come to you. You're going where the lost and the needy are. Praise God. I'm very excited about what the Christian Motorcycle Association is doing, so I'm excited for you all to learn more about that ministry next week. Now, most Christians have never heard the name Edward Kimball. He wasn't a great evangelist or a powerful pastor. He was simply a a humble Sunday school teacher at a humble little church in Boston in the mid-1800s. And one day, Mr. Kimball dropped in to see a young shoe salesman who uh, had visited his class. And uh, that young man came to trust Christ as a result of that conversation. And Mr. Kimball expressed that he had been very nervous about visiting the young man and said that his visit was, quote-unquote, weak which what he meant by that was that he didn't feel like he did a good job in presenting the gospel to him, okay? But yet the young man did accept Christ. Amen. And Mr. Kimball went on to say of that young man, it seemed that the young man was just ready for the light that then broke upon him. So you see, you never know when your clunkiest efforts will make an impact because that person was ready to hear the gospel and responded to the gospel. Even though your effort might have been clunky and you thought it was dumb, 
Oh, man, I did such a terrible job. But see, it's God that causes your seed to grow. Regardless of how clunky your efforts were, sometimes people's hearts are just ready, and the Holy Spirit uses your clunkiest effort. Where we are weak, He is strong. Okay? Now, incidentally, the young man who accepted the Lord as a result of Mr. Kimball's visit was named Dwight L. Moody. Who went on to lead over a million people to the Lord. <laughs> yeah. But even if the person that uh, Mr. Kimball witnessed to had not become a great evangelist, his efforts would have still been pleasing and important to God. So never underestimate the value of your work, your kindness, your encouragement, your giving, your prayers, and your witnessing. You might not be able to see the eternal impact that you're having right now, but I guarantee you, you will later. All right, well, I'm going to end by rereading our master text in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 regarding what our ministry is. I want, to, want us to look at that again. And then I want to give us an, an illustration to drive this point home. So let's read this, then I'm going to give us an illustration and a, a, another brief commentary, and then we'll close. Okay, so once again, I'm just going to give you three verses out of our, our master text in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, since we know what it means to fear the Lord, we persuade men. And he has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making his appeal through us. Okay, you know, folks, let me say this before I do my illustration. Um, at some point, somebody, somebody uh, probably reached out to you and shared the gospel with you, or at least invited you to church or something. See, you were grafted into God's family through the efforts of other people, right? So we need to pay it forward and allow God to use us to reach other people as well. So I'm going to show you an illustration, and I'm going to need some volunteers. So you girls that sit on the front row, you're gluttons for punishment. So you come up here and help me. And then I need somebody else that's, that's close by. Uh, um, uh, Sharon, you want to help me since you're close? All right. So... Um, Girls gather in close to me, and so uh, we're in like, a, let's, let's imagine that we're in this, we're sinking in a pit of quicksand. The three of us are sinking in a pit of quicksand, okay? And then Sharon reaches out to me, and she pulls me out of the pit of quicksand, and I'm saved. And then I go, yay, I'm saved. See you guys. And I leave them behind? What? I'm not going to join with Sharon and help to pull them out as well? Right? Come on. Right? Right. So that, see, it's, it's about reproduction. It's about reaching lost souls who are in the miry clay like we once were. And for us to be pulled out of the miry clay and then go our merry way and not care about the others who are in the miry clay is very selfish. Okay? Thank you all. Appreciate you. So allowing God to use us in the ministry of reconciliation is an expression of gratitude, ladies and gentlemen, because you too were once lost and now you're found. Amen. See, it would be the ultimate expression of ingratitude to not be involved in God's search and rescue mission of other people. Now, of course, not everyone's going to respond to you positively. That's true. But as amazing as it seems... God is making his appeal to the rest of the world through you 
and through me. Isn't that amazing? So on that note then, I'm going to close with this scripture right here in Proverbs 11.30. He who wins souls is wise. So I want to ask you to set some goals for yourself maybe. Um, This really needs to be high on our radar. So endeavor to look for opportunities to share the gospel this week. If you start looking for them, you'll notice that opportunities will appear. And, And why don't you make it a goal Start slow. Start with baby steps. Make it your goal this week to speak to one person about your testimony. Share your faith with one person this week. And as you start looking for that one person, then you might see that, wow, there's other opportunities that I didn't even realize were there. This uh, analogy just came to me. So let me say this and then we'll pray. Have you ever noticed that when you get a new car, that you start noticing that there's all kinds of other models. You start noticing all the other models on the road that are, is exactly like your car. You never noticed them before. But when you get that model, now you start noticing all the other models that are just like your car. You ever had that happen? Yeah. So I think that that's kind of true in, in this, um, this particular point as well. When you start looking for opportunities and you set a goal, I'm going to talk to one person this week about my faith. Then you notice it might not be just one person. You may notice three or four or five opportunities that you'd never seen before because you weren't looking for them. Does that make sense? So as you start implementing what we've talked about today, I think you are going to start noticing opportunities to talk to people and sharing your faith with people and snatching others out of the fire. Praise God. Did you get anything out of that this morning? Stand with me and pray, please. Praise God. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.